0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: All right, let's do the check thing. Mark, are you sitting comfortably leaning forward and all that? I stuff? am. How does that sound? <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so how one, does that sound? One <laughs> all right. Rob Zombie joins the podcast. <laughs> That's what it sounded like, like. Rob Zombie so well, hey everybody welcome to episode 273 of the more than just code podcast my name is tim Mitchell and i am in toronto ontario and i'm joined once again by jamie lopez jr in seattle washington how's it going and we have mark rubens on the line from san jose california Hello. What do you what do they call that style of music where people just holler? Yeah. I don't I don't know what they like call that. it, but yeah. It has a name. Yeah. It has a name. Yeah. I remember I was looking at Twitter once and, and they were like, Oh, this, this singer is so hot, she's so good looking, whatever and I'm like, Okay, really? And I'm like, Oh, I better go check her out and so I go over to, you know, YouTube and load up the video and it's like, you know, she's like one of these <laughs> Yeah. very attractive not
0: my favorite style of music
1: no no i mean i get like you know carol calls like people like um aerosmith hollerers right but uh, she has no idea right yeah it's <laughs> it gets
0: it gets much worse <laughs> it gets much worse yes, much worse
1: Worse. Ex- everything in extremes yeah all right um we're just dig into this show here let's do let's- it all right. So starting off from last week's episode, we have one piece of fact check and it was the word I could not remember in Xcode and it was killing me. The word is toolchain. chain. Let's try to remember how, you know, like if, if, say, Swift 5.2 came out, you could download the toolchain, stick it into your Xcode and, and try it out in your current version of Xcode, right? So that's did you, is that what you were thinking, Mark, last week when I was trying to stumble across this particular thing.
0: I think so. I forget exactly what the context was, but that sounds about yeah, right. Yeah,
1: we were talking about Xcode and I think Carmi was off, you know, with this dealing with this delivery. We were also um,
0: talking about how you could select which version of the developer tools you wanted to use. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and and how I found it was, I, I remembered that swift.org is where you would go to find newer releases of, or you'd find information on, on what's going on with Swift and that kind of stuff. Um, beyond you know, in advance of what, uh, Apple's doing, you could look at, you know, documentation and stuff like that. You can see the changes and stuff like that that people have been putting through, um, you know, a pu- pu- pull requests and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, so, yeah, so I went over to the Swift.org page to the downloads, and you can see, you know, Xcode 11.0 toolchain with debug symbols is, oh, it's unavailable. How about that? Um, yeah, why would that be unavailable? Anyway, so you can see, you know, Swift 4, 5, 3, 2, um, and you could, you know, grab those toolchains and stick them in. So if when Swift point two gets close to public release or beta release or whatever, even before Apple adds it into Xcode, you can add it to your, to your current version of Xcode and try it out. And uh, like we always like to say on the show, your mileage may vary. So there we go. Right, so Jaime, do you have some... Uh, Ask MTJC.
2: We have a few. Uh, one that was from Halloween night, the day we actually recorded, but came out, uh, or at least to my attention, after the recording, is by uh, Jessie Cruikshank, who uh, yep. apparently has her, her kids dressed up as AirPods. One is the left, one is the right. You can kind of imagine what that might look like, but we'll have the link in the show notes for those of you driving at home. So um, just as a real-time follow, we
1: were just talking about how Twitter won't load in Safari for me. Guess what won't load in Safari? You anyway. know, there's always Chrome. <laughs> yeah, there's always Chrome. <laughs> anyway, so, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's true. Um, and there's a new browser coming at We'll talk about that later. But, um, just so you know, Jessie Crookshank is a is a Canadian television personality yeah, here in Toronto.
2: I had a feeling she was familiar to me. I was like, I feel like I know that name.
1: Well, these, we used to have an MTV, Canada MTV channel here, and, uh, she was one of the hosts. And now I think she works over at the sort of conglomerate, you know, Rogers Network or Bell or somebody like that. So I'm not sure what shows she's on, but yeah, she was one of the, I guess you call it VJs on, uh, um, on our Canadian version of MT or MTV, which was around for
2: a bit before it gets assumed into something. Well, else. those AirPods
0: yeah. would definitely fall out of my ears. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think these kids are slightly like. You really should go check out the photos if you're listening to this. Um, the kids don't really look that happy, and I feel like they're slightly too old to be dressing them like this. You know, where it's kind yeah. of for your amusement mm-hmm. rather than theirs. I feel okay. like this would be more appropriate if you had like twin babies, or, or you know, where they don't really understand what Halloween is. Yeah, yeah. So it, it feels like. <laughs> it adds an extra layer um, like a schadenfreude layer to my yeah. eyes
1: so we know when they're like 16 17 and they read this this caption says i hope i don't lose one they might be quite upset with mom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? all right what else you got for us
2: uh this one you had tagged from uh gregory archibald Hio. Friend mm-hmm. of the show, one-time co host mm-hmm. That uh, Mac number one of two. Oh, I guess he has two Macs. So Mac number one of two is going to Catalina. Rest in peace, QuickTime Player Seven. Yeah,
1: I got confused by this because I had, I, I was a huge user of QuickTime Player Seven forever. It was like my go-to tool for any sort of media. Um, and then it was replaced. It's been replaced by QuickTime Player Pro. But you know, it's back in the, the days when you had to pay Apple for a, you know for a pro license fee or whatever. I used to pay them for that or Player Seven all the time. So I'm. Still still sad to see it go because it was always sort of like a utility belt, you know, piece. You could always, I could always use, rely on QuickTime Player Pro 7, sorry, Player 7 to do something for me that, you know, other QuickTimes wouldn't do. But yeah, too bad. That's, I guess it's a 64-bit uh, thing, right? Yeah.
0: I remember it used to be able to convert formats better than the versions, yeah. I think
1: it was. Better export tools and things like that, yeah. I think, right? And, and cutting and pasting and editing QuickTime videos where you could grab a middle and you could, you know, copy and move it around. It was before they added that trim thing that they added in, in the Pro version, right? All right. All right. So he's got another one there, Jaime.
2: Another one from Mister Hio. Apparently, he must have been uh, coming to the same realization um, about the tool chain and shaking his fist nope. mightily at the uh, at the radio. His I'm phone. sure. Yes. So yes. Swift tool chains. Download them from swift.org/download/releases uh, or hashtag releases. And once installed, they show up in Xcode preferences. And he has a very good screenshot showing exactly where that would show up.
1: Yeah, but I thought that I thought there was something under the Xcode menu where you could switch back and forth between it. You know, have to try it out. Well, that's
0: the developer Maybe. tools, I think.
1: The yeah. No, no, in that area, right? But I I recall, I don't know what version of Xcode it was, but I do recall how, like, you could go under uh, the the menu there. Of course, Greg can yell at his phone when he listens to this episode, and and correct me, of course, he's welcome to, um, that, you know, you could go over there and choose which tool chain you wanted to load up. But uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've I've even seen that or heard of it. But yeah, cool. Cool beans. All right. So we'll dig into our follow-up. So I've got the first one here. We talked, I think Chris Wagner had posted a a wish that um, Apple would come out with, you you know, a series of, of hardware and software and services bundles, uh, whether it would be like one price to buy everything. And, you know, you, you pay like so much per year and you get all the tools as they come out whenever you need them kind of thing. I believe that was his wish. But this, so this is, uh, I guess, based on something that Tim Cook had said in the in the earnings call last week, that uh, he doesn't rule out the possibility of bundling hardware and services in the future. I mean, as case in point is, is Apple TV
2: Plus, right? True, which I think, I think students, if you have Apple music, Music, you get Apple TV Plus for free, and you go to some oh, really? some Apple website to confirm that yes, you are in fact a university student. Uh, maybe high school would work too. I'm not sure. But certainly, with an educational you know, system sort of person,
1: yeah. And anybody who buys a piece of Apple gear now, uh, since the iPhone 11 series came out, um, whether you buy an Apple TV or an iPad or an iPhone um, or an even iPod Touch or a Mac, you, of course, you, can, you get a free year of a free year trial of Apple TV Plus services. So. Yeah, And we'll talk about Apple TV Plus in a, in a bit as well. All right. What do you got for us, Amy, this follow-up for last week?
2: Yeah, we had mentioned at the time that the rumor was that Google was going to purchase Fitbit. And in fact, they did for $2.1 billion with a B. Right. Yeah. That so, li-
1: I think that came out just after we'd finished publishing, right? or the next day, I guess, right?
2: Yeah, it was rumored before, and now it's, uh, as of this point, official. They're acquiring... Um, a lot of folks are thinking that it's for the data and not for any sort of product stuff. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening here. So
1: is this like a, like the confirmation that they're going to buy it? Or is this a, like doesn't it have to go through
2: checks and balances before the deal can get approved? Yeah, it probably ends up going through the, um, the Department of Justice, I think, that does that in the United States. Mm-hmm. And presumably some equivalent in other countries and the European Union.
0: There. Yeah, but yeah, they're just checking for monopolies and things like that. But I can't imagine in this case because Google is a software company that them buying this would be anything that would get held up. It's also it's a it's a relatively small company as far as Google mm. is concerned. Although two billion dollars is a lot of money. I have to believe what you just said, I mean, that it's got to be about the data because I I can't believe really that they'd spend two billion dollars on just a hardware company. I
1: mean, I don't even know. No, I mean Fitbit's like been around forever and they're and they're sort of the yeah. The de facto... But what's what's the revenue? Well, it, it's it's got to be on the the data. I was going to say because that that's what you know people have been exercising with Fitbits for years, right? Right. right. And uh, you know it's uh, one of the first
2: wearables
0: that was out there, right? Yeah. I want to see what the revenue is actually. I have no idea. I'm looking this up right now.
2: Yeah. Two two point one billion dollars in the modern era is really not that much money. And I know that sounds silly for those of you out there listening, um, but you know, like Instagram was purchased for like a billion dollars cash or maybe all stock. I can't remember what that was. Um. And and that was considered a lot, but it's like pennies now.
0: Well. You're right, but, but uh, hardware companies tend to have lower valuations in general than, than software companies do True, because uh, the margins are much lower. You can make a certain amount of revenue and, and a lot less of it is profit than for software companies.
1: So it's less likely that somebody be bought, would be buying intellectual property. I guess that is intellectual property data,
2: right? Like patents and stuff maybe, yeah, but apparently maybe, yeah. not uh, not Motorola level, which right. was like, like 10, 10 to $12 billion, I think, when they purchased. Right. I mean, I'm actually surprised
0: yeah. that uh, Fitbit's revenue is, 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 is as high as... As it w- is. It's, uh, they're saying it's about, well, what year? When was this? Uh, for Q3, which I guess just happened, it was 350 million, which is a lot. That's a lot for a hardware company
1: Well, yeah, but they're also the MP3 player of of wearables, right? Like they had ubiquity. Yeah, true, true. And at a low, low entry level, right? Low entry account. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of government agencies, you know, scrutinizing things, um, this is via our friend of the show, Fouad, uh, who I think is listening to the show now because I think he's got a longer commute. He's back, he's back in the fold. Um, but yeah, he uh, had posted that uh, the FCC has now approved the new Mac Pro. This is an article by uh, OWC Mark C, or the World Computing Mark C. And of course, they're there as I think, are they a legit reseller in the US? I know they resell Macs and parts and bits and pieces for upgrading older Macs, but uh, I think, you, I guess you can buy Macs I from think them you exactly, can. Yes. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're obviously super excited about the new Mac Pro coming out, um, which is, I, I went and looked at the website today. It says uh, available this fall. And isn't fall over in like a couple of weeks?
0: Well, right. This fall probably means fall two thousand twenty, which would be right on schedule. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like,
1: yeah, but I mean, don't we have like till the twentieth of December or twenty first of December when winter starts? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, officially. Yeah, so they're cutting it kind of close. I can't wait to get my big giant dongle. You know, um, yeah. So that was uh, the Mac Pro that was announced then, and I guess people. I, I, what, what do you? Th- I guess it, maybe this FCC approval thing might have been what was the holdup or one of the holdups.
0: Not sure. Not sure why the FCC would have to approve this thing. Yeah.
1: So is this uh, one of the Max, that's being made in the United States these, year, these days? Like, didn't they start up something in Texas or Austin? So, or? I,
2: I forget what ended up happening with this. I think, so the, the older trash can style Mac Pro was done in, like, Austin, in Texas, the United States, and then this one was going to be done predominantly in China, and then, you know, trade war between the United States and China went on, and Apple applied for um, exemptions. I think they got partial ones, but I think their uh, final assembly in Austin, but most right, of the components yeah. still coming out of China is what I think ended up happening. It was very confusing; it went back and forth. So I could be totally wrong on that.
1: Yeah, we we do that with cars here. Like they they, they build Hondas and Toyotas in Ontario um, at old older converted car plants, um, and that makes them cheaper to bring into the country. I think right because of all the tariffs and things, you know, on on um, foreign made cars. But maybe that's part of the angle behind assembling it, at least in the United States. Hey, who knows? We could we could Google it, but you know, never. Um. This uh, last, this next one, I called it Greg Who because um I was looking up a word the other day and I Googled it and I found out about this website called Etymology Online or Etym- Etymol Online Etymol Online, uh, which is basically your your you know go to etymology website. Which of course is not loading for me in Safari, but uh, if it was, I could tell you about it. But yeah, you can look up different words and it'll tell you the roots of them and the history of them, just like you know you would you would do if you were into etymology, as our friend Greg Hio tends so it to. So tells
0: you everything you ever want to know about bugs <laughs> bugs
1: yes and spiders yes, yes. entomology it tells you what about entomology if you want to know what that is too right yeah i was trying to was trying to we were we were talking about um we're making some changes at work and and we were talking about calling dibs and uh, so we were trying I was trying to find out what the origin of the word dibs was hmm. um so i looked that up on uh, on on here and it uh, um, gave a pretty interesting description do tell well so yeah it's a children's word to express a claim on something i'm reading here from 1915 originally in the united states apparently but it, it it was earlier meant to be a portion of a share or money uh, from the 19th century, but I believe it was earlier than this. Um, probably a contraction of tib- dibstone, a knuckle bone or jack used in a children's game, or in 1690s, so in which the first element of is also unknown. But uh, yeah, so if you, Google, if you Google it or look it up on Wikipedia, you'll find that it actually has uh, um, disputed uh, origins, but yeah. Calling dibs is like, you know, like Seinfeld said, he called dibs. What can I say? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, you guys you guys obviously know about calling dibs I don't know about other parts of the world if they do that but we do it here in Canada as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh the next uh, piece is a follow-up piece on we were talking about Apple TV Plus and we're going to talk about it again. Uh and that is a little note that uh, somebody had discovered and posted in the Verge that says that if you start an Apple TV Plus trial and you part of the conditions is you have to opt in to the payment, right? So it's like you you sign up for a month or whatever it is and it will auto auto renew at the end of that month. If you decide you want to Opt out of that auto renewal; it will end your end your trial period at that time, like immediately. So, yeah, if you if you get into the one year trial, certainly don't you know wait till it's over or wait till it's near the end before you cancel. So, yeah, like people are saying here, set a reminder on now to on your Apple TV Plus you know, October thirty first, twenty twenty, if you want to cancel it. But uh, so far, it's been pretty pleasant. So I don't know why people would want to uh, cancel unless they run out of. Uh, yeah, shows if you watch something. all the shows. Then. Yeah, well, there's an angle to that 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 Apple's cooked up. So we're going to talk about. The the Apple TV Plus or Apple yeah Apple TV Plus service in our in our um, main part of the show, so I'll, I'll save that for later for you folks. So yeah, Just a word of advice: it's our PSA for today. Don't cancel until you're ready. All right, Jaime, I see you're hovering over your uh, your app your your um, game cu- game club uh, link there. Yeah, there we talked
2: go. about Game Club last episode or, or maybe two episodes ago. The competitor to Apple Arcade, where you uh, pay four ninety nine a month and you get access to this series of games that had once been on the App Store and Hadn't been kept up, and we were speculating, like, oh, did they buy the IP? Did they get a cut? How did they, you know, fund the, uh, you know, dusting off and and cleaning the cobwebs and, and giving them baths, sort of thing? To all of these games, um, we don't know the answer to that. I don't think because I haven't seen that. But the other thing we were wondering is, oh, so these games are actually in the App Store, and they all have this four ninety nine Game Club in App Purchase experience that you can see. And we were wondering, huh, like, how functional does this this game have to be? Uh, and it turns out, not at all. <laughs> so Mage Gauntlet was one that I tried out. And when I say tried, I was able to watch the intro uh, animatic. And then after that, I got this little uh, beautiful little advertisement for like, hey, Game Club, it's only 4 nine a month. Try it out. And an option to say, I already own this game and, and I do not. So when I click that the App Store um receipt check failed. Uh, so I couldn't get in and actually try any of that game. Uh and I tried out uh Super Quick Hook to see if it was like unique to Mage uh, Gauntlet and it's not as far as I can tell. Um all of these games pretty much within the first 10 seconds of launching the app need you to have that subscription. So really not sure how that jives with App Store review, but apparently Apple thought yeah, it was okay. That's
0: that's the kind of thing that used to get rejected pretty much outright. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, mind you
1: though, the the Apple the arcade apps are like that too. Like I tried arcade for a couple of weeks myself, and um, uh, I still have the apps on my iPad, and I have canceled the subscription. And as soon as I open the app, same experience. You open the app, and it you know flashes the arcade you know buy it now kind of message, right? And uh, that's all you get for you don't even get like a like a demo uh, to try out, right? Right.
0: But of course, Apple. Apple can do whatever they want. Doesn't mean they're going to let somebody else do the same thing.
1: Well, by the same token, though, yeah, that's true. They do have that that sort of. They do own the store, but um, sounds like it's a similar kind of situation where it requires this subscription for you to use, right? And it's, it's not uncommon for apps to, to require like a login. Or I've seen other apps, like you know, business apps on the on the main store that are useless without a login. Right. And those oh, yeah. Seem,
0: well, those seem yeah, I mean, no so. no one was ever saying that this was technically challenging at all. Not at all whatsoever. Very easy to do that kind right. of thing. It was always, how do they get Apple to allow it? Yeah, I don't know. That's still the question.
2: It it feels like the philosophical difference here is before when it was, you know, straight up purchase this game with the in-app purchase, it seemed like they felt like, oh yeah, you should have, you know, some reasonable amount of functionality rather than like trying to trick people into getting it for free. And then like, aha, surprise, you can't actually do anything, purchase this game. And this is being treated more as a subscription akin to like Netflix, like you don't get you know, ten minutes free of Netflix content. So it's more of a members-only club, and I guess that's the philosophical difference that Apple is using to to treat this with. It's the only way I can reconcile it in my head. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it gives new life to new apps,
0: or or we'll find out in a couple of months that they get kicked off the web the App Store as soon as <laughs> Apple notices that they're doing this. Well, <laughs> it's funny. I just,
1: Jaime, did, I mean, didn't you just post something about elect- electron uh, apps with Electron can't get uh, approved in the App Store anymore? Yeah, spoilers
2: post- for the. Uh, one of the main oh, topics. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. Oh. But yes,
1: okay. it's, it's it's still developing there. Okay. Well, well, we'll talk about that in a minute, I guess. Anyway, and you can talk about this next lead here because I'll probably just do a review of this next product when we get to my picks. But go ahead.
2: Yeah, this is, you know, follow up from when we said, hey, Adobe said that real legit Photoshop is coming to the iPad and and it's here now. It's available. That was at
1: WWDC, wasn't it? Was
2: it last year or this year?
0: I thought it was last year because I, I remember being yeah. at the keynote where they talked about that. I think. Yeah, I
1: met one of the... One of the uh, breakpoints was has, has just joined Adobe to go and work on this product as well at today, this year's WWC. Oh right, right in Seattle, actually.
2: Surprisingly, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Well, it about. doesn't
1: say much in the article here about about the product, right?
2: Uh, it's not so reviewy. It does do like a cursory review. It's kind of what you'd expect, and, and obviously, you're going to give your your review. Um, mm-hmm. The thing I wanted to mention that that folks seem to get a little hung up on is what did Adobe mean by real and uh, from everything that I understand what they meant by real was this is not a separate product that like has the Photoshop name just sort of like you know with a sticker slapped on the side it, I think they went through the effort to rewrite or refactor rebuild whatever they did to like actual real Photoshop to get it to run in this environment but that doesn't mean that it will be one-to-one parity um yeah, in terms exactly, of functionality yeah, yeah. at least not from day one right like I'm sure they had to go through a lot of effort to get it to even run the way they wanted it to uh, on iPad
1: yeah on I mean, definitely the iPads have the horsepower to, to sort of compete with you know a mediocre Mac running running Photoshop. Um, Photoshop's always been a memory hog and all that kind of stuff back in the day when we had limited hard drive space and limited RAM. Now, now that we've got tons of RAM and tons of space and everything on an iPad is, is flash memory, right? So it's all pretty quick stuff. Um, it makes perfect sense. And it does say here that um, it's uh, they, they're, they're using the paradigm of working in Photoshop to make it similar, but because the iPad is, is such a different environment it does kind of embrace those features of that you get on an iPad that you don't get on a Mac, right? You're not going to be able to do your 3D stuff, you're not going to be able to do movies and, well, maybe I shouldn't say that, you know, like, because, you know, I use my Photoshop to do animated GIFs, I do 3D objects in it, I've made movies in, in Photoshop, all kinds of stuff over the years, because it's become the Swiss Army knife of, hey, let's put it in the kitchen sink, and the next thing you know, you can, you're doing the dishes in Photoshop, right? Um, that's kind of how it's evolved over the time that I've used I've been using it since, like, 1990 when it first came out, so I've seen all the different variations of things in, in adobe in photoshop and, and some of the tools that i was specifically looking for and like, like i said i'll talk about later but the things i was looking for they delivered so that's a good thing
2: i'm hoping that adobe will come out with the engineering side of this like i, I can only imagine that some uh, brave set of engineers had to go in with you know machetes and chainsaws and go mm-hmm. carve out that old carbon code to go get <laughs> this to run on ipad is how i'm imagining yeah. it. i don't know if it's the <laughs> or, real or Super know, the day, web views yeah 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 <laughs> yeah
1: well, it was originally, yeah, it was originally written by John Knoll, right? as, as well. Like, it started out as a real 68K Mac uh, app, right? So probably got, probably. It's, I mean, it was rewritten for Intel when when Adobe was giving up on the Mac back in the 90s. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's been through a whole lot of changes over 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 its time. So yeah, interesting. But it's interesting that that. So the the thing about Adobe's apps, and and I have a ton of Adobe apps on my iPad, and even before I got into the back into the Creative Cloud, you know, I was still humping along with my old you know, CS6 license they brought out a lot of apps for the iphone and the ipad that you could use and they, they were also meant to be work with work with creative cloud for, for uh cloud storage and stuff like that and and you could move um you could move uh, files from you know say an adobe Illust- adobe draw let's call it it's not called adobe illustrator but adobe draw on uh, ipad you could move it into into the cloud and then open it up in photoshop and continue right so they had that going for them and um but so so now that uh that that it's come along it is not a free product right That's that's one of the questions we were we were wondering about that like the other apps I've talked about Adobe Draw Adobe Illustrator There's like a, there's a ton of tools There's a cooler um, K U E K U E R K U um, L E R color uh, tool that you can get. Um, all of those things were kind of free on the iPad, but this is, this is now a paid app. Um, I don't know if you can buy it specifically, uh, by itself. I think you have to have a created, creative cloud account. And, but the cheapest way to get that is kind of how I got into it about a few months, six months ago, I bought a, uh, a Seagate hard drive and it came with a trial of what they call their photography plan. And that includes Lightroom and Photoshop. I've never even installed Lightroom to be honest with you, but yeah, for getting Photoshop for $9.99 a month, it's it's a steal in my opinion. And the fact that, you know, like on day one, I was able to open up Photoshop. Photoshop. Photoshop on my iPad and use it right away without, you know, having to jump through hurdles. It automatically recognized my Creative Cloud account and I was up and running in no time. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty decent offering. Again, I've been looking for this product, this type of editing for a long time. I mean, I do have the other Photoshop Express and all the other, they're, they're kind of like Instagram on steroids, you know, but nothing really like that matches what, what we have on the desktop until this product came out. That's my two cents. <laughs> all right, all right. So this is another link here from I'more. Randy Ritchie posted today, and I was kind of looking through it, scanning through it. Really, um, that Apple has uh, revamped their privacy website, and uh, they're, they're uh, as he says here, raising the stakes on data privacy. I don't know if you guys had a to glance, glance through this at all, um, but yeah, talking more about uh, about uh, how they're, you know, saving us from ourselves, you know, um, by protecting our data and our use and stuff like that, and and the new rules that have come in with Catalina and iOS 13 you know, about uh, uh, how people are, are doing things um, with with your data. And so Apple, you know, is is adding services in to protect us from, like I said, from ourselves primarily. Um, you know, uh, we, we talked about the signing with Apple stuff that they've added and, you know, which kind of protects you and uh, using Bluetooth and, and Wi-Fi sharing, that kind of stuff. Those, and those new alerts we're seeing in iOS 13, you know, where people, apparently people like apps, the reason why the apps are, are warning people about Bluetooth is because the Bluetooth is being used to track your location or story relocation, I guess. Um, and that was something that, that we hadn't seen until iOS 13 came out, right? In beta. Yeah,
2: I've been seeing it an annoying number of times um, with different apps. I'm like, what the heck? Why do you need Bluetooth if yeah. you don't?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, I like I, I mentioned, in one of my apps, uh, oh yeah, Pi Day Countdown, it pops up and says uh, that Bluetooth is enabled. And I, as a developer, I'm like, what? I didn't even know that, right? And it turns out it's because I've got the, the ad mob stuff from Firebase in there, right? That, uh, you know, for the ads, that it it's doing some sort of geolocation kind of stuff. And why it needs to do use Bluetooth for that, I'm beyond me. I thought Bluetooth was a, like a low low distance network, right? Like doesn't go beyond.
2: I guess they would give you the the Walmart ad if they noticed that you were in a Target. Oh, <laughs> you know, assuming it's well, like a Target it. that's like you know in, in like a an urban environment where there's many other stores near it. Not you know just use GPS because this is out in the suburbs surrounded by parking lot. Yeah, yeah.
0: well, or they push a special deal. If you're in Target, they'll send you a coupon for 10% off or something and get you to buy stuff based on where you are.
1: But the reality is, by the time you get over to Walmart, those two things that they had in stock are no longer there. and You end up buying the more expensive item that's next to it. Oops, did I say that out loud? Insider secret. Um. Anyway, who? Um, yeah, so that's data privacy. So yeah, if you want to find out more about that, you can obviously check out Renee's article on it or head over to the Apple website and check it out, check out the new site for sure. All right. And this, this is a link I just saw just before the show started. About, remember we talked about, I think maybe a year ago or more about an Uber car that killed a woman crossing the street the autonomous vehicle right Uber yeah, right? The, yeah. yeah the self-driving vehicle yeah because we've been talking about the Apple car coming out that i mean, it's going to get with 16 gig in white right um, but a uh, couple of tweets here I saw that one was one was in response to the, the main tweet oh, God, Twitter again hang on sorry I got to Chrome um, copy link switch to Chrome paste link hit return yeah so the first tweet it was this was in response to this is that, that apparently Uber Uber's radar detected um, detected this lady, Elaine Hertzberg, was crossing the street, but she was crossing she was jaywalking. She wasn't at an intersection. And for some reason, it recognized her six seconds before it hit her. And yet, I guess because of the programming, it, it wasn't designed to make decisions, I'm doing air quotes, decisions based on people jaywalking. So, and of course, the person who replied here, A History of Tech on Twitter, uh, said six, six seconds is enough time to swerve, slow down, or even stop. So um, She's claiming that Uber intentionally Broke safety features that were already in place in the vehicle. Well,
0: um, I think that so again, the second claim is a stretch. I mean, certainly six yeah. seconds is enough time to sort of slow down or even stop. But but to say that Uber intentionally broke the safety features already in place in the vehicle yeah. is is a stretch. We don't we don't know the whole story. Yet.
1: But this is the trolley the trolley car question that that they wrestle with in in autonomous vehicles,
2: right? You know that that story. If you're familiar with the, the trolley uh, car question? Oh, do you? The, the philosophical discussion.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I suspect it, it wasn't even that. I suspect it wasn't even that they made some decision, uh, and the oh, no, I don't think they made a decision. Yeah, no, no I mean, I mean, they it, it's the philosophical argument would would say that they they made an they made a decision that killing one person is preferable to some other outcome that would have been worse. Yeah. Right, yeah. and I and I really really don't think that that happened here. I just think that the technology, having worked in a in a company where where we did a lot of of detecting of objects and things like that, the technology the detection uh, is is very very good these days isn't very, very uh, powerful, but it's not perfect. And sometimes the technology, yeah, could could know. I mean, just read what it says. Uber's writer detected Elaine Hertzberg nearly six seconds before she was fatally struck. But, quote, the system design did not include a consideration for jaywalking pedestrians, so it didn't react as if she were a person. Well, Mm -hmm. that's pretty vague. So when you say that the writer detected her, um, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not defending any of this. This is not, No, this is a tragic thing. But I'm just saying, I I, I suspect that it's, it, 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 was certainly nothing malicious going on. I don't. I, I. don't think. I mean, who knows, right? But I don't think there's anything malicious going on. And I don't think there was any kind of. I suspect that there wasn't any kind of value judgment going on. It's just the technology just wasn't quite as good at some particular you know corner case, which is probably what this was. Uh, and and it just it was a very unfortunate thing. I mean, but and, and I'm not saying Uber should be shouldn't. I'm not saying that Uber should not be held accountable because right, they, right. if if they're gonna take that kind of risk they have to pay the consequences if they have a mistake like this but but I but I think yeah. it was a mistake or a or a you uh, know kind of insufficient testing or just not good enough technology which which caused this rather than any kind of um, you know malicious or intentional
1: act so this is actually in re- response to uh, I just dug into the tweet a bit de- deeper it's in response to an article from November 5th um, saying talking from Washington Post um, don't know that anything about that particular institution whether it's reliable or not. But um, yeah, they talk, they give more detail on, on the case, you know, of, you know, it was a Volvo XC90 with sensors, blah, 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 um, it was 10 o'clock at night. A lot of factors that, that could have been there, but it does say in, in the article that, where um, is it? The uh, um, local Arizona pr- prosecutor determined in March, 2019, there is no basis for criminal liability for the Uber corporation stemming from the crash. So, so that. Uh, yeah,
0: and now I'm looking back. at the article and they're saying, the article does claim that Uber actively blocked the Volvo from slamming on the brakes in an emergency, which, okay, that's, that's a little worse <laughs> or a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. NTSB, who's that? National Transportation Safety Board. Oh, Safety Board. Okay. Yeah, right, they're okay. the ones who typically investigate plane crashes, but I guess they would do this. Okay. Kind
2: of thing too. The, any, any transportation. So planes are the ones that usually happen. If there's a large enough or in this case, um, what do you call it? A notable enough kind of vehicular uh, automobile crash they will do that. It, it it'd probably be more in like the 20 car pileup scenario. Yeah. If you would see them, and, and trains being the other um, big one, they they probably do boats as well, but I'm not certain.
0: Yeah, it does actually say that documents. This is according to the article. Documents released Tuesday by the NTSB. Joe Uber's self-driving system was programmed using faulty assumptions about how some road mm-hmm. users might behave. So there you go. It wasn't. It wasn't intentionally. They didn't intentionally. Say no, that's it's just ignorance, oversight. But, yeah, for sure. But they, you know, people do this all the time. You make a certain assumption, you go with it, and things seem to work. And uh, yeah, you know, you don't know that these. It's
2: hot, and you don't learn it's hot until you put your hand on yeah, it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard to parse a lot of this apart because the um, no consideration for jaywalking pedestrians seems like it almost certainly has to be incorrect as a statement because I, I don't understand how you wouldn't have that as part of your model. Yeah, what about
1: like a fox um, or, but even if or dog or something? Right?
2: right. I'm unclear as to why this object is moving and it is going to intersect with us. Isn't regardless of what it is? Who cares if it's? Um, I mean, it, obviously we care in terms of like human life, but I mean in terms of what should the vehicle do? Like uh, there's a moose or a tree or a you know uh, uh, a swarm of bees like there's something that's intersecting us. Maybe we should just stop, regardless of what it is. Well,
0: that and that may be true, but but what I suspect actually is going on and what they what they mean here with these quotes about never classified as a pedestrian is they have some kind of an image classifier where the image classifier classifies this thing in its in its field of vision as a car or a bird or. A person or something, and and they didn't have a quote jaywalking pedestrian classification, and that's what they're kind of latching onto in this report, I, I think.
1: Now, it, yeah, which it says the system was unable to correctly predict the path of dete- detected object, yeah, so whether it was a dog or a boulder or a moose, right? You know, it it wasn't unable to right. detect so, it was going to. Be so like this and this aside, is right?
0: the problem with with machine learning and, and neural networks in general. It's it's only as good as the data that it's. That's Trained it and the predictability of the model, the predictive capability of the model. So, so they probably did train it on an enormous amount of things, uh, and the model just wasn't able to classify this thing as right. a walking pedestrian. So it couldn't react the way they. I'm sure they programmed it to react in a certain way if it was a pedestrian in the crosswalk. That would be crazy not to. And and you know it's an obvious thing that you're supposed to do that you'd have to do for this kind of thing. But if the if the neural network doesn't predict this thing. To be a pedestrian, then it doesn't know what to do, and right, I suspect yeah. that's what's happening. And, and that the translation doesn't—that's the technical uh, description of what's going on. You know, the translation into a legal document doesn't really doesn't really uh, give the full flavor of what's going on. But I—but I, I the way the, the way I'm reading the words is—is is I think that's what's happening. Is that uh, you know the, essentially the neural network couldn't couldn't predict this thing was the type of thing that it needs to get away to to take the certain action to avoid. Which yeah. again, I'm not saying it's a good thing, and I'm not. Saying that uh, Uber shouldn't be held accountable for having a crappy neural network, and maybe they should. Right, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, but this, but this is how I'm reading it. Yeah.
1: So this just in, <laughs> um, I saw this earlier today, and I, I didn't follow up on it. But um, apparently, a driverless Tesla was seen coasting in a, in a park, mall parking lot, raising questions and causing confusions in Vancouver today or yesterday um, in Richmond, BC. Which is, well, if you know Richmond, that's not a great place to be trying this stuff out. Other Canadians in Vancouver will know what I mean. But um, apparently, like uh, on Global News are reporting that the Tesla was driving on the wrong side of the road for one question, and uh, yeah, so interesting that that uh, yeah. I, so I was going to say, like, are are um, in Arizona? Are they allowed to drive self-driving cars around? Like, is that cool? Like, I know they're testing in some in California, right?
0: Don't know, but but reading yeah, further down like... in the article, sorry to interrupt you, because but I'm reading the article sure. and mm-hmm. I'm seeing more and more as as it comes down. So quote: the system vacillated on whether to classify Hertzberg as a vehicle, a bike, or quote an other. So yeah. quote: the system was unable to. Correctly predict the path of the detected object, uh, bumping down a little bit further. In one particularly problematic assumption, given the chaos that is common on public roads, the system assumed that objects categorized as, quote, other would stay where they were mm. in that static location. And there's the problem. So the neural network did not have a classification for pedestrian moving across the street. And mm-hmm. it didn't know what to classify it as. So it got lumped into some catch all other category. Uh, and the fail was that others, other, quote, other objects don't move that's a, that's a pretty big fail from that point of view. But again, it's, it's, it's just, it's a bad neural network.
2: Yeah. I mean, even just, you know, thinking about your own sort of personal driving, like, yeah, I've had to avoid the, uh, this object has fallen off the back of a truck and I have to sort of predict where it's going to go. It could be, uh, bumpers I've had to avoid. I've had to avoid, um, boxes and I've had to think about what to do as like, wait, what's that moving across? Is it a bag like a plastic bag? Okay. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm just going to go through it. Um yeah, I can't swerve to avoid this just because of, you know, uh highway traffic. These are considerations like an experienced driver would have to to consider. I, don't, I wouldn't just say like, oh yeah, that's cool. That thing's just going to stay still because it's not, right? And it's, it's hard to, even for human beings if it's going to stay still. You have to think about it.
0: Right. And if you think about what the computer is doing, it's capturing a frame as a still image, analyzing what's in that image and saying, oh, here's a thing and here's another thing. And if it says thing equals car, then it, it, no, it has some, it calls some function that says, you know, swerve. If thing equals bicycle, swerve different way else uh print quote run it over El, man. else yeah. log <laughs> quote unknown object found
2: <laughs> yeah right. it and, so, and
0: put it to the send it to the analytics
1: yeah i mean if all else it should have it should have just you know had, it should have had a graceful fallback and just stop right right at the end of the yeah. day right yeah but it's interesting too if you click on this link that i posted here about this bc self-driving car um you can watch this car driving and there's, there's pedestrians all around and it's just it's stopping and starting and stopping and start like it's kind of it must be one like one of those summons things I guess because uh, you can summon your, your Tesla with your with your phone right that um, must have been what it was because clearly there's nobody in the car but yet it's driving through this this roadway on, and clearly on the wrong side of the road at first but uh, it does correct itself but I noticed that, like you know when you're walking through a parking lot and there's pedestrians you know you, you're, you're I'm sorry when you're driving through a parking lot and there's pedestrians you you stop and you wait for the, give the pedestrians the right of way kind of thing and it's it, the car does seem to be doing that so interesting stuff timely thanks uh, thanks Tesla for giving us a Perfect example to talk about. All right, Bohame, so, which jump over to, oh, we talked about this already, Electron.
2: Yeah, so the, this is still sort of ongoing. Uh, more details. This came out from David.dev that he was unable to submit an Electron 6 or 7 app to the App Store, uh, to the Mac uh, Store specifically. And Electron, uh, to remember, is the cross platform sort of web technology based uh, set of technologies that allows folks to create apps like Slack or uh, Visual Studio Code or Atom or a, a, probably a bunch of apps that you would think of that are available for Windows and mobile and macOS. Um, unfortunately, and I think this goes way, way back to the uh, the root of the early days of this podcast, um, you don't necessarily know what your dependencies are doing. And in this case, uh, it turns out that some versions, version or versions of Electron, and this is the confusing part since I'm not an Electron developer, um, linked against uh, non-public frameworks like CA context, CA layer host, uh NS next name frame, you know, calling particular uh, API calls that are private on there. Um and so this developer was like, hey, what what's up why did App Store Review, you know, reject this? And it's like, well, because you're linking against private frameworks. It's like, but I'm not. It's like, well, but your dependency is. You are, yeah. Right? Like yeah. you 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 have given up that uh that responsibility to, to the dependency in this case. So it's it's tricky. And apparently um looking at another blog post that he has um the resolution that came from Apple was like to use what's essentially a really, really old version of Electron that doesn't do that. Oh, really? Um, hmm. But it seems like the more reasonable thing is that the uh, the Electron devs are currently working on fixes that um, will not link to the aforementioned private APIs.
1: And yet, somebody must have done it at some point in the past, right?
2: Yeah, the the I don't think it's covered here. The the scuttlebutt I saw on the web was that um, the Electron folks do it for performance reasons, so tapping. Into things that Apple itself uses under the covers, uh, and that sounds like a perfectly reasonable explanation. But when it comes to uh, App Store review for you know the Mac uh, Mac App Store, that wouldn't be allowable. So I'm I'm, I'm guessing this will have a uh, App Store versus non App Store sort of flavor, you know, like a build setting or something. So continue to use Electron, and if you're offering the app through your own uh, distribution, you probably will will leave it turned on, right? So you can get the performance and take the performance penalty, but but yet still be allowed on the App Store with the do not link to private APIs is what I would guess is going to happen.
0: It's just interesting that it seems like I don't know what the current version of Electron is, but it's been at least two versions, six and seven, according to the article that this has been going on. So it's sort of surprising that this is the first we're hearing about it. You would think someone like Slack would be using the latest and greatest, but maybe not.
2: Yeah, considering how large their app is, I, I bet they might not be. They might be a little bit behind for stability reasons with their you know hundreds of maybe even thousands of developers um, and. And you never really know, right? Because it's not like this is um, forget even rule of law. It's not like this is some uh, you know law of nature. This is more like look. Not saying they do do this. Not saying they should do this from an ethical standpoint. But if Apple was like, should we pull the plug on Slack? Maybe not. What if we go call them and be like, yo, um, by the end of this year, you have to get this changed. Um, versus random Joe Bob or Joe Sally on on the street, eh, they're gonna probably pull the plug on you real quick, right? Because the the impact is a lot lower. Are you, are you saying the other app store?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Going Not way again. back no. in history.
2: Could be that. It, it could even be just like Apple's um tooling that does these sorts of checks, as far as I can tell from my own personal experience, it seems to be a little erratic or noisy. Because yeah. I, I think but I, I mentioned before, like I got dinged for stuff we're like, what? No way. There's no way. We didn't we didn't even change any dependencies. There's no way this could be different mm-hmm. and ask them to hey can you re review? And like, oh okay cool.
1: I think there's a lot of manual process in in Apple's vetting of apps because, like you said, like you you can have one you can pass through with flying colors one review and then the next one you get caught for something unusual, right? Uh, I've even seen cases where somebody uses you know self self documenting code as Mark and I like to call it to call something reasonable, you know, in a method name, and then years later Apple rejects your app because they've also called something with a similar name in a private framework, even though your your method does something completely different, you know, um, and you have to go in and rename your your method, right, to get it passed, but I, I think there's a lot of human element in in the checking that goes on with apps, right? I don't I don't know that it's an automated
2: process, or, or can it be, right? So you think it's like somebody grepping for through the files and like aha, create account? That's a private API. These are binaries; it can, wouldn't it have
1: to decompile them to be able to grep through stuff. I mean, they can read strings, but they can't, you know. Oh no, the, the symbol
0: tables but... are all available. I mean, and, are they? You know, we yeah. I mean, where do you get your dsims from? Right, you, you can well, you can get them from Xcode or you download them from Apple because <laughs> they because right, you compiled right, the right. Bit code. so they they know you know they they know the names of everything.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, because I remember the. the Mr. Shoemaker was telling us about, you know, how people would put in methods like, you know, not Cupertino as the method name and uh, to to block right. Apple from seeing things that they were doing in the app, right? Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah,
0: another possibility of this, I mean, this would be kind of weird, but I guess it's possible if they if they have a big enough list of things they want to test and they've calculated how long it takes to run all the tests and how many apps they have to run all the tests on and it's prohibitive, right? Maybe, you know, maybe the difference from Going to a ten day review cycle to a, a one day review cycle means that they can't spend that much time on every on everything. And even automated tests take time to run. Uh, maybe it's they just kind of randomly pick ten percent of the tests to run or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they vary them every single time. It's random so that so that they figure well if we don't catch you this time, maybe we'll catch you next time, or for sure we'll right, catch you the right. time after that.
1: Well, I mean, we all complained about how slow the, the reviewing process was, and so Apple stepped up their game. I I don't know if they added more people or they added, or they just sort of averaged out, like you said, they averaged out the the vetting process, you know, to make this, maybe this randomized call or lottery kind of call. But, uh, cause we're now getting apps through in a day where it used to be a week. If you're, Oh yeah. A day is
0: very standard now.
1: Yeah. So, or even hours, like I've seen apps go through in, in like 20 minutes, literally personally. Right. You know, those are, those
0: are pretty rare, but it does happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And then you get ones where they're stuck for three or three. I I think James Thompson tweeted last year that he had an app stuck in review for, at least a week, if not longer. Uh, here's, so. here's a no. here's
0: a PSA tip for anyone out there. Uh, if you're doing any kind of MDM app, so use, using a managed, managed uh, or mobile device management uh, app with Apple, they have now added a new paperwork requirement. So when you submit your app, even if if it's been approved with MDM before, when you submit your app now, there's there's some paperwork you have to fill out explaining what MDM profiles and what MDM commands your app is doing or your app vendors your MDM vendor is doing. Uh, uh, for those, if for anyone who doesn't know what the way managed devices work is, you have a vendor uh, who uh, a company if they if they want to uh, only push out apps to uh, to to uh, you the know enroll in, machines in, in, are, yeah. yeah enroll apps for your for your company or or limit access to certain apps or uh, you know limit the number of apps or whatever you can contract with a with a third party company uh, that's connected to Apple and there's a bunch of them out there I don't want to give any free advertising but. There's there's a bunch of them out there, and there's a there's a managed device set of frameworks with with Apple that lets you essentially lets the vendor push commands to the phone, kind of in a similar way to the way push notifications work, where where the vendor yeah, yeah. can you know push a push a command saying hey uh, manage this app you know uh, set this configuration for this app or stop remove access to this other app or something like that, and of course the user has to opt in and all that, but it's, it's all managed, but anyway, so all that, so if you're using that kind of solution and they're they're reasonably now, uh, Apple has had this new, requir- added this new requirement where you have to fill out this online form, submit it, and it can take uh, weeks to get this thing approved. Really? So well, if yeah. you're doing this on any kind of time schedule, plan way ahead. Okay, that's my PSA for the week. Yeah, I mean, well, I,
1: I, I think I've, I've talked about this on the show before because uh, I was at a demo with Apple in Toronto and they were showing some of the new things, some of the new hooks you can make in your app. Like you said, can change the configuration of the app. Um, um, on the fly using using the MDM tool right right, right. Um, you know like whether it's this server or that server or whatever changes you know the, you can change the UI based on on what you feed it um, yeah it's interesting I do I do work on a couple of MDM apps myself um, and I, that's a uh, that's gonna be an uh, interesting thing when we cross that bridge
0: yeah hmm. if you if you uh, do have an existing app I would get get on that right now actually yeah oh, let's really? get it yeah hmm. get the paperwork in place
1: all right. I'll have to give uh, one of my
2: friends a head up heads up
1: yeah alrighty um Yeah. So what's next, honey?
2: Yeah, you you touched briefly on this one. So uh, Microsoft's Chromium-based Edge browser is coming out on uh, January 15th. So to recap quickly on that one, so Microsoft Edge is Microsoft's uh, next-generation browser, the replacement for Internet Explorer. It had its own uh, rendering engine, but Microsoft sort of saw the, the way the wind was blowing and said, you know what? Chrome is pretty much the standard for the web. Oh, interesting! And, yeah. and so they're rebuilding based on Chromium, which is the uh, open source version of the Chrome browser, sort of the basis for it. If you think about that, uh, so they're they're coming out with uh, with Chromium based Edge, which uh, Mary Jo Foley from uh, Windows Weekly has called Credge, C H R E <laughs> D G E. Or uh, I've Kredge. seen folks on the internet try to go with Edgeium. I think I personally prefer Credge myself. So uh, if you like Tim are having issues with Safari, maybe you'll, and you don't want to do Chrome, maybe you'll go try Chromium right, or yeah. Edge, I should say. Interesting stuff. Yeah. I yeah. might have to give this a whirl. It, I don't expect it'll be super different from, from Chrome's experience, but um, I kind of wonder just since I have such the, the sort of Google ecosystem sort of linkage, I wonder if it will make sense. Like I'm not super into um, like the Microsoft ecosystem, which now that I say that maybe this will make more sense for me to start using Uh, at work because you know like a lot of large corporations we have pretty big microsoft stuff you know we're using um you know office 365 and and other stuff so like oh being logged in you know as my sort of work self through uh edge might make sense whereas at home i'm more logged in as my sort of google account self yeah yeah
1: well it's interesting i I mean i don't have any control over this the institution that i work at but they they a while back had, had established that chrome was the the default browser for most things and very rarely do you get sent over to to Explorer but or Exploder as I like to call it. But um yeah, so this this will be an interesting twist on things too. I think the, the IT departments out there might embrace this this uh, pretty well because they already they already have established that Chrome Chrome browser is Google Chrome is a pretty reliable uh, stable browser compared to the variations of uh, Outlook we've had or Outlook you no, know, it's called Explorer that we've had over the years, right? So hmm, interesting story. And, and this is coming out January is it from January Mac as well?
2: January fifteenth is the launch. It'll be a um, Mac browser? Do you think or I don't see why. Why not? Um, oh, there we go. The article says, release candidate build includes sync support for password history, favorites, and settings across Windows, Mac OS, iOS, and Android. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Uh, and includes Microsoft's new built-in tracking protection. So there's, you know, a lot of nice things here, especially if you're going to go sort of cross-platform and be, you know, I think the biggest thing would be having your tabs or your history and other things show up. Yeah, the seamlessly sync across those, those would be, that'd be great
1: because I have a real trouble with that when I switch from Windows to, to Mac and back, right?
2: Yeah. like, like it's, of a non-issue if you stay just on you know Apple's platform but it, once you go outside of it to like have an Android device or have a Windows device it's like uh it gets kind of messy and yeah, okay. uh, you could go to the Google route which is sort of the route that I've gone sort of just based off my own sort of personal accounts that I have. But if I was more sort of in the Microsoft ecosystem, I, I could see it would totally make sense there. Hmm, interesting.
1: All right. And the next big news, I mean, well, it's not so big news, but
2: yeah, it kind of depends on, on, on what's going on in your, your, your app life. But I got this notification, this news and update from developer.apple.com, developer the and says, uh, by the way, the Apple push notification service is going to switch to the HTTP, HTTP, two based. Provider API um, as of November 2020. So this is your notice that one year from now you're not going to be able to use the uh, legacy binary protocol. So you're going to have to d- use the new hotness that uses JSON Web Tokens and stuff. So if you don't know for sure that you're on the right stuff for this, you probably should start bugging your infrastructure and backend folks to, to take a look. Yeah. So you- is
1: this? It, it, if I understand this correctly, so um, I did go into the the, the thing because I, I do run my own APNS server here, but are, are you basically saying that it has to be HTTPS 2 like TLS point two to be approved or is, or is there a new sort of standard have coming down the pipe?
2: So I think you might be asking about the HTTP 2 based uh, provider API. Um, yeah. I would have to read docs to see but what I think is happening here. So there was the old uh, APNS, the Apple Push Notification Service yeah, yeah. Uh, API they had, the like weird binary protocol based one. And then one or two WWDCs ago they said, hey, we've got this like much better, more Restful style right, that, yeah, yeah. that authenticates with like JSON web tokens instead of whatever in the world it used before. I'd have to take a look. Um, I think mean, if a lot of folks are using things like I don't know, Urban Airship or um, Firebase and stuff like this, you may not have to worry about it because I'm pretty right. sure those have already switched over. But if you're running your own uh, APNS connection stuff, you're going to have to double check to see what your backend is doing. So that oh, is one Pless part. Firebase does notifications? Uh, yeah, that'll handle the, or Firebase Cloud Messaging, FCM, I think is what they hmm. rebranded Google Cloud Messaging, GCM okay. too. Um, so that'll that'll handle that. Uh, but if you're, again, if you're doing like the raw sort of server to server side of doing things, so there's reasons you would do that, uh, you'll need to switch over to that new API. So the other part of your question that I think you're asking is the HTTP 2, right? HTTP slash 2. That yeah, is the, yeah. the, yeah. the new hotness that is as far as i understand backwards compatible with http 1.1 but adds several cool things like request multiplexing so for example um if you have like a web page that has you know some javascript some css and then like an image in old school http those would be three different tcp connections right like hey i need this oh by the way i need that and then finally i need this this is smart enough to say yo i have these three things that i want please give them all to me in the same request hmm, right um there's header compression. It switches to a uh, binary protocol where compatibility is available. It switches to a binary protocol for all of its commands. If you've ever looked to see, uh, you know, get uh, www.apple.com, you know, accepts this encoding, expects this response. It also has something that I didn't know about, which is called um, server push, where the server, rather than being sort of reactive to you saying like, oh, um, I need this file. And now I'm going to need this file. The server can say, you know what? I know that you are you know, looking at our product detail page and you're probably going to need all of the assets for our checkout screen. So we're just going to go ahead and send those to your browser now uh, and, and speed things up that way. Um, this is not my area of expertise when it comes to the you know, how these protocols work, but that's my sort of layman's understanding of HTTP 1.1 versus 2. Your plain speak version.
1: All right. Well, that's, we'll accept that for now. Um, so yes. Yeah, so- so we, we're now at the part where we're talking about Apple TV Plus. So um, I have enrolled in a trial. I'm curious to see whether you guys have started looking at it at all, or what do you what do you think?
2: I haven't used it. I've not enrolled in it because I know I will get a free year, and I'm looking to buy a laptop. So, so you wait until then. It's that, or if I break down and buy, um, uh, buy an iPhone plus 11 Pro, or whatever. yeah. Um, and I don't think you get the free year with even a fancy pants watch because you can't you can't watch it on your watch. Right. I get you. Yeah. So what about
0: you, Bonner? Mark? I have not used it
2: okay well
1: i i have used it and um so it's interesting because i i kind of wondered you know when this this one month trial thing how apple is going to stop me from binging all the episodes um but uh so i watched the morning show i watched this uh for all mankind and i watched just before the show we were we were delayed starting this today so i watched the first episode of C, so i could you know give Jaime sort of a spoiler free impressions um and uh they only serve up three episodes of the series so i'm not sure if they're going to come out weekly or, or what the deal is, um, but they're they're doling them out. And so it, it's interesting. I mean, the, I could talk about the shows a little bit if you like, but um, the one thing I, we talked a few weeks ago about, you know, wanting a, t- a service that would sort of meld all my services together. Well, on the same TV box, on my Apple TV um, 4K, I keep my names, brand names straight, on the 4K the Apple TV, I have Prime and I have my YouTube subscription and I have my... My Crave and um, my uh, Apple TV Plus service, right? And so when when I go into the TV app on the device, it lets me choose between the three services as if I'm looking at a at a regular TV guide kind of thing, right? Um, not related to the product TV guide, but yeah. So like I can see the new Jack Ryan stuff, where I could watch the Morning Show. Like it's just a matter of clicking on the appropriate icon, and it will it'll it'll launch the the appropriate app that will play that content for me, right? So it is sort of a one stop shop in that sense. You know, we were, we were kind of wondering why somebody couldn't figure that out, right? Because on my TV itself, I have, you know, Netflix and I have I have these other services, but I have to launch an app specifically to go into those ones there, right? And one of my biggest complaints about Prime is that it's awkward to go into this other app which I never really open and I don't really like the interface, and and yet here I have access to my, to my um, Prime content right from the Apple TV app, so that's nice. Um, anything else you want to hear about?
2: Did you end up seeing all of these different shows, so you've linked in the show notes, These, this tweet about the yeah. Rotten Tomatoes Critics versus audience scores for the different shows that de- or the major shows that debuted. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I just went, oh, to Twitter again, Jesus. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> January link. 15th can't
2: come fast enough, folks.
1: <laughs> Copy link, switch to Chrome, paste link. I should just open the, the doc
0: over Tim, here. Tim, here's a tip. Put um, it in uh, private window mode and then try it again. What, uh, uh, Twitter? Oh, that might not work for Twitter because you have to log in. I do that for ESPN where you don't have to log in and it gets, and it fixes the hanging loading problem for at least for ESPN. Yeah.
2: Well, this is, oh, it's an interesting aside. Like I did accidentally fix a problem with, um, what website was I looking at? It wasn't like a paywalled website, but like the normal website wasn't working for reasons. And I accidentally tapped the, um, the reader view and it just showed me instantaneously everything I needed to see, which was surprising. Hmm. I was like, oh, I guess it has all the text. It's, all the other cruft that it hasn't loaded yet.
1: Yeah, it's weird. Um, I, I was originally brought to this tweet, and this is what I've linked here, uh, from Darkmore Dave, Dave Mark. Um, he had talked, he, he's, been, he's been commenting on the shows. Yeah, so it's interesting, this, this critics versus audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics are, are panning the shows, and the audience are loving the shows, right? So um, I have watched The Morning Show, and I haven't watched Dickinsonian, but I've watched uh, For All Mankind. Um, yeah, here's my problem with for, for All Mankind. Obviously, because I'm a space a I've watched every possible bit of footage there has ever been about the, the Apollo moon um, pl- uh, project, right? And Gemini and Mercury and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so I have, uh, I, you guys know it's an alternate take on, on the actual history, right? You know that part of the story, do
2: you? Nope. Yeah, kind of Man in the High Castle style alternate yes, yeah, history. Yeah
1: it's, yeah, it's an alternate, or Quentin Tarantino kind of glorious Bastards kind of thing. Um, well, I, I don't think I'm giving it too much away if I say that, that the first footage of the man on the moon is actually a Russian uh, did you guys know that part? That I believe the, the premise years.
2: of the show is that the the Russians had, had won the race, the yeah. space race, right?
1: So immediately, here's my problem with this, right? I watched this footage when I was nine years old or eight years old, and I've and I've seen it a thousand times, you know, the Neil Armstrong coming down the thing and and it was on TV and they used to like superimpose text over top of the video feed, and the video feed says live from the moon in English and it's a Russian transmission. Why wouldn't it say live from the moon in Russian or acrylic or whatever it is? That's my first problem. And like within the first 10 minutes of the show, right? You know? Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, um, so, I, so there, there's, it is an interesting show. Once you get into it, you start to, you start to feel empathy for the characters and, and there's a fictitious astronaut actually, who's, who's the main character of the show. Um, but it's, it's similar to the, I don't know if you've ever seen the Astronaut Wives Club or any, any shows like that, or The Right Stuff or, or even the Apollo, uh, Neil Armstrong, First Man uh, movie that came out last year with Ryan Gosling. Very similar kind of look and take and that kind of, Kind of stuff, um, implausible in some places. But then, if you're if you're a pure historian, then yeah, it, make, it it kind of makes you cringe a little bit. But people, I've other people I know who are just as space nutty as I am are are on Twitter's and socials saying they love the show. So um, who who am I to know, right? Or who am I to say it is an enjoyable show? I am enjoying it. Um, it is very much of its time um, in terms of how it's portraying things. So that's interesting.
0: We just had an earthquake, by the way. Did you? Yeah. Wow, tiny one. Oh, tiny wow. one. Mm. Welcome mm. to California.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had one in Vancouver when I first moved out there. I got an earthquake out there. Yeah. I don't think I've been in California when you guys had an earthquake. We, we get them all the time. maybe We get little ones all the time. This
0: one was a pretty small.
1: Um, yeah, the morning show is interesting. It's it's uh, it's very sort of like, what was that, Studio 50 or Studio 30 show um, with Matthew Perry or or even 30 Rock. It's very similar to that kind of story take. Um, I've not seen it in the newsroom, so I can't compare it to that. But uh, it's very much, you know, uh, broadcast television and all the sort of tropes that you you see in that kind of thing um not going to give too much away I think most of it's in the in the trailers um yeah it's it's an interesting show it's got great cast right so so it's it's very difficult for it to not to be you know seen as an audience favorite right so um it, it does it is like it's got a lot of tropes in it so it is pretty typical and I can see why the critics would sort of not give it a, a great marks but uh, but it's interesting too yeah and then I just watched see like I said just before the show again a lot of implausibility in that one a lot, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief in that to, to sort of get the premise uh, and, and see how how it would actually survive, how these people would survive. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting, uh, interesting show. And again, more tropes, but but a different take on a sort of dystopian future world, right? It's pretty good. Good again, good cast as well. So so far, I'm enjoying the shows. I haven't watched the Snoopy one yet, which I guess will be the real test, right? Yeah, Snoopy I think. Space.
2: I think the thing that will be interesting about the Snoopy one is so remember when uh, we probably talked about this on the show but i remember when the the rumors are coming out uh, presumably from people who were sort of burned by uh, working with apple that um you know apple was you know mickey mousing everything and and, and trying to make it super family friendly um from everything that people have said i think these are not family friendly They're not shows safe so work. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i'm like mm, somebody described a scene from c i think like like the opening scene i was like oh really <laughs> so they just go right into it huh uh, okay um so I kind of wonder if the Snoopy one is like subtly gritty in some way, because now it's quite the opposite. Now I'm like, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe nothing is family friendly, even the well, coming Yeah.
1: Coming back to my my four-year-old granddaughter, like I mentioned before, I've only seen probably two shows that seem to be kid-friendly, right? I haven't tuned them in yet, but yeah, there's not, again, when you got five shows, two of them being kid-friendly is pretty good, I guess, right? You know, so there isn't a lot of content. I do, I do see it being, I do see it having value for, for the money, right? The the five ninety nine or whatever. Whatever it is, Canadian or 4.99 US, um, it, it's not a not a painful amount of money to pay for for the kind of quality we're we're seeing right away, right? So I think it, it still needs to still needs to sort of you know, uh, find its way, right, in terms of where it goes. But again, it's it's Apple. I mean, you're, you're going to get you know good quality stuff from Apple. It, I just hope it doesn't end up being like that. What was that social network they had on on iTunes a while ago, Ping, Ping. or something like that? Was it yeah. Ping? Right, right, Ping. Mm. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't go the way of that because that was interesting at first, but it kind of didn't really go anywhere, right? But yeah. I think they're putting a lot of, putting a lot of effort into this. And they, like I said, they've got good producers and good, I mean, they're backed by Sony on the, some of the products, right? So that's so good, good quality, you know, movie quality television, if you want to call it that, right? So far it's enjoyable. doesn't suck.
2: All right. Um, what's that? This one, we, you kind of covered a bit from the, um, Renee Ritchie mm-hmm. article about, uh, sort of privacy in general at Apple, but we'll have this link to apple.com slash privacy, where they have, they being Apple have put their privacy info in a really Sort of nice, like as if it was an actual product, like an iPhone or an iPod Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got it up there, and it's kind of in more or less plain English. Well, this is new. This nice. was,
1: I think this came around around uh, WWDC, didn't it? This site or is this new?
2: I think this. Pa- well, this page may not be new in terms of the the URL, but the the styling as if it was um, like an apple.com slash you know iPod or iPhone Apple TV style. Like it's it's really fancy fancy pants. I mean, they've got cool animations. It sort of explains like look at all these cool things of like photos protects your images from unwanted exposure and messages are only seen by who you send them to.
1: Yeah, I think this is actually follow up. I think we did talk about this before. I have to have to go through the notes and see. Hmm. Yeah, but it is pretty cool. I think. That- you know, I think Yeah,
2: hmm. I think if nothing else, it's inspirational, right? Like there's nothing yeah. more, um, you know, th- it sort of brings you down when like somebody's privacy page has this enormous wall of legalese. Um, mm-hmm. This one's a lot friendlier and helps you understand like what's going on. Oh, it's Bell. Right, I see.
1: Well, I guess you're right. It's the only time I see it linked on the, on the notes. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. All right. But it, yeah, it is a very similar style that they've used on other things and, and lately, right? Anywho, brings us to the picks part of our show. What do you got for us, honey?
2: Yeah, mine is... Is.
1: Or should I ask Mark first? Mark, do you have a pick? Uh, no, I don't have a pick. Okay. Well, you can carry on. Jaime. Sorry. <laughs> Thank
0: you
2: for asking. Uh, yeah. Mine.
0: Huh? <laughs> Thank you for asking.
2: <laughs> You're welcome. Ahead. Yeah, so mine is, again, like, it feels like almost like a negative pick like last week, but it's not really a negative pick. I think it's, it's kind of cool. Um, so apparently some researchers have figured out that they can hack into some of these um, virtual assistants, specifically the devices that you would have at home, like the Google Home, the Amazon Echo, um, presumably the Home. Pod, I think that's what they mean by Siri when they say Siri here. Mm -mm. Um, So they just point a laser at the microphone and through physical means that are unclear to me, uh, they they somehow get it to think that it is hearing sound. Really? Yeah. Maybe maybe I should have watched this video. I didn't have time to see that uh, and see what it is. It must be some sort of weird interference effect or concussive effect for what they're doing, but they can do it from pretty far away. So it it seems like the, uh, you know, if you're going to have these devices in your home, if you're like me, the, the key thing to do is to not have them anywhere near a window. Hmm. So, put a, so,
1: are they talking about passing audio signals through a laser beam? Is that what they're talking about?
2: I think so. And I'm kind of struggling here and hoping that Mark maybe can fill in of like, oh, yeah, well, clearly there's like a piezoelectric effect happening or some <laughs> other similar kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I'm hokum. Yeah, I'm looking at the article. So it's using a MEMS, which is basically just a, a tiny, tiny little mechanical structure. So you can, imagine that this, using the same technology that you use to make say a chip well use that to etch a little lever uh, and that thing can vibrate a tiny tiny little bit uh, and uh, in doing or, or move a little bit and, and induce in doing so you know it changes like the capacitance between uh, the edge of the tip and the and some and some uh, cathode or something uh, and by doing that you can measure things like acceleration because say you drop this thing well one end of the lever will will move because it's in free fall and that'll change the distance between the end of the lever and the, the plate metal plate and you'll get it the capacitance will change so you can use that to measure acceleration that's how they that's how they do things like measure you know protect against um, when you drop your phone or something like that it's or, or detect when you drop your phone or something like that and all the uh, all of the the, uh, the sensors in your phone that detect things like gravity that's all done with that so so presumably what's happening is these things since they they can vibrate at really really high frequency Somehow these lasers are coupling into that. It's it's hard to believe that it's just a mechanical effect. So it's it's inter- It's very interesting. I'm not sure what's what's causing it. In fact, the article says no one knows precisely why, which is kind of interesting. I'll have to look into it some more.
1: Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to sit and watch the videos, maybe.
2: Yeah, I saw the part where they showed the little animation, and I still don't understand like how you know these photons here were interacting in some way with the the uh, the diaphragm on the microphone to like push it enough for it. like I, I, like I could. Imagine imagine in my mind i'm like okay if you imagine things like uh, like solar sails right like you'd have spaceships that like they just yeah. you you know use the um, uh, you know like one of newton's laws
0: yeah i mean so, first so yeah so you so light is is essentially a bunch of photons uh, mm-hmm. which have energy and momentum they don't have mass but they do have momentum so whenever you have whenever you have something that has momentum you bounce it off of something you you impact it's like remember from high school physics when you you take a ball you throw it against a wall the ball back it bounces back with the same momentum that you hit the wall with, but in the opposite direction, right. which means it's momentum changed by twice the original momentum. So that mm. momentum has to be impacted to the wall. So the wall is actually pushed a little bit, although walls are usually so sturdy that you barely notice that that, that happened. And the same thing happens with with a, a light sail, like you said. I mean, you know you have just sunlight is shooting out all these photons and you have this enormous this sail and it gets accelerated by it. However, it's, it's an incredibly, incredibly small effect. The light sail effect. So basically a light sail would only work way out in space where there's absolutely no uh, atmosphere to, to cause you know air friction or anything like that. And you'd need a super enormous sail to, to get any kind of, of motion out of that because the effect is so small. So it's sort of hard to believe that a laser could do that even to a, even to a tiny little thing like a MEMS device. But something's well, happening. Should
1: we take a minute and watch this uh, how do light commands work video for science?
2: Yeah, I don't know if they go d- deeper in. Like I see examples of how, uh, of it working and a sort of hand wavy animation of like oh mm-hmm. laser hits the, the diaphragm I'm like yeah that's cool that doesn't sound like it would to my mind <laughs> like that doesn't sound like it would be enough to um to move it uh, to, to mark's point about like the solar sail thing like it you'd have to be massive and it'd be uh, you know it just doesn't seem to enough change to be like oh yeah that that yeah. seems like the same amount of movement you would get from sound waves moving through at normal speaking volume like i could sort of imagine if these microphones were of the quality to be like oh it's it's really good at listening to dog whistles right something super high-pitched you know well well out of the yeah but if that were the case range. then you'd
0: you'd pick up some hiss or something every time you turn the light on right in your house
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: well they're saying here that, that apparently the the lasers influence the micro the microphone diaphragm somehow by, by the energy moving the, yeah. the diaphragm so they must be able to send a signal through the laser which the laser somehow
2: weird yeah i, I thought it was cool because i was like whoa heck like one i don't 100 percent understand how <laughs> this can move it enough and not only like oh cool we we proved it could move the diaphragms like hey we can actually you know control it enough to encode a command mm-hmm. you know like
0: like as if i told it
2: to you know open the doors or turn off the lights
0: yeah yeah i'm really interested in that
1: scary stuff the future is scary as one of my favorite podcasts likes to say future is scary <laughs> the future is scary all right uh, speaking of scary futures um my pick here is uh, actually not that scary um i've been playing around with swift ui so i've been saying for many many months now and uh, they keep changing the language. Darn it. Um, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, but I found this uh, website here called SwiftUI Cheat Sheet, and it's got uh, pretty much every command you might think you want to use um, inside, and plus uh, links to other resources. Like if you're looking to set up a text field, which is what I was trying to do, like text field obviously is, is it creates a field just like you normally would have. You can have a placeholder value, um, but one thing that kind of caught me by surprise was, and shouldn't caught me by surprise, is you have to create a State variable first uh, for the the text field to um, become equivalent to, and then use that as your value inside your your field. And you can do text field or secure field, which is like a password field, um, create a text field on the screen. And I've, I've been also enjo- as a side note, I've also been enjoying um, Paul Hudson's uh, hacking with Swift videos that he's been posting for the last you know couple of weeks um, on uh, on his uh, website on his YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, they're pretty quick, uh, you know, five minute long uh, example lessons on how to do. Various things like last this last week or last couple of days, uh, he's been covering drawing on the on the in your apps, uh, you know, drawing, uh, using arcs and uh, circles and shapes, uh, and um, ins- ins- shapes that uh, um, different protocols that, that work inside of Swift UI, so that's kind of cool. So, anyway, my, my pick this week for the Swift UI folks is this uh, Swift UI cheat sheet. And notice it's only been updated five months ago, so I wonder if it really is up to date. I would think that since it's a GitHub page, they would keep it up to date, right? When you?
2: I see commits as of October 30th.
1: Okay, so it is updated. Okay. When
2: I look into the, the list of commits. Yeah, I just like, to there's definitely the folder, yeah. Jumps, it was like June, August, a couple times in August, and then nothing until October. So maybe somebody's tracking the releases or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So before I get to my next pick, I think Mark might have a pick. I think I would? Why? Or you, just, you found this like commands PDF.
0: Yeah, oh, this, is the, this is the original article okay. oh, that okay. I found, but I haven't actually read mm-hmm. it yet. All right. But sure, that can be my pick if you want.
1: Ha <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Looks very technical. Yeah. Very scientific. All right. Cool. All right. Might my last be some math.
0: Oh, there is some math in it. equation one. <laughs> one equation. Right.
1: So my last pick, of course, is Photoshop on the iPad. Surprise. Um. Yeah. Like I said, I you know the minute I heard about this on coming to the iPad, I was excited, and in a minute I saw it was available on the store. I went and downloaded it, and uh, again I was even more surprised and delighted that I didn't have to pay for it because I already had a a, a Creative Cloud subscription to the photography plan for nine ninety nine. Um. Yeah. So. It it has, uh, and what's what's really good about it is when you first open when you first launch it, it takes you to six videos that they put together, really high quality videos on uh, how to use various features. So the I think the challenge the challenge I've been I've been working with graphic designers my whole career on computers, and I gotta say, no offense to my friends who are graphic designers out there, but you deserve this. Um, they are the fussiest people who use computers in the world. Uh, you move one menu command or or change one tool, and they're they do nothing but complain about it. So it's not your mother's Photoshop let's put, let's put it that way um, but yeah it is it is pretty cool launches obviously launches pretty quick um, you can uh, work with uh, any kind of Photoshop if you have a Photoshop file in existence on your Mac already you can really quickly and easily import it into into Photoshop edit and it, and it um, has all the same sort of things as you would expect um, so for instance, I was actually surprised. I, I went to, sh- I had found a P- PSD file that I used to do some of our, like, you know, the one with the space field and I have Snoopy and the cow or the TARDIS floating around. I use that for the show artwork every now and then. So I have this one big giant file, which has got all the variations of, of, um, you know, TARDIS or Tammy or Doctor Who or Snoopy and, and like the flo- floating cow, um, in there. And of course a laser, laser lens flare effect, which I don't know if I could do a lens flare effect in Photoshop on the iPad, but, um, I went to share it from my Mac and it went in on when it came over to the ipad by airdrop it went into photos and i went oh that's odd because i was thinking that it was just making it into you know a a flattened file and yet when i went to photoshop on the ipad and i opened it up it does recognize it as a psd file and so i have all of my working layers here um and you know so when you're working in in layer layers is a huge thing in in photoshop this is how we organize our work and we do um channel layers and channel masks and stuff like that all of those kind of things are built into this this version of photoshop and other Photoshop-y kind of things that Adobe has put out in the past don't quite have this level of, of quality. This is very similar to what you would do on, on, the, uh, on the Mac itself, right? Um, the toolbar on the left-hand side where you'd expect it to be, you've got your typical stuff like you've got your, your selection tools, oval, square, um, and any time it's like, uh, or lasso tools, you got those as well. Of course, it works great with a pencil, which is lovely because I've been using AstroPad on my iPad to be able to use my pencil. Sold to work on my Mac in Photoshop, but now I can do directly on on the um, on the iPad itself. Um, but you know, so when you go to select a tool, you can you can long press on the tool and you can choose between our, uh, ellipsis or rectangle or rectangular selection. Um, lasso tool has got has got um, their magic wand selections and the, the quick selection the magic wand tool are there. There's a type tool as well. I don't I haven't really dug into that one too much. propping, um, of course. You know, whenever I do the ep- the episode for the show, I, ha- I have to. Make like a square crop for the, the, the pod catcher like uh, Outlook or, or sorry uh, Overcast um, but I also do have, have to make a header version for um, the website so I've got that um, you know erasing and brushing and of course you've got uh, layer masks as I mentioned before you can edit directly on the mask you very quickly turn on and off um, uh, layers and work with and layers have all the same sort of effects and and um, modes that they have on, um, on, the, on the Mac so you can have like a normal and you can adjust the opacity of a layer you can have you know do dodge color dodge color burning um, screen screen effect which is where you know highlights show through mean um, darken color darken layer darken the color lighten the color so all the sort of visual effects that you do want to do on a, on in Photoshop for the most part um, are available to you so like I said I opened up this file which I've been you know working on for the last you know three four years and all of the layers that I've worked on over the year are in there there is one of tammy here there's one of like you know, Snoopy as I said before the Doctor who composite the the red color um, the I think this one started with the the Mac Pro floating in space, if I remember correctly. Yeah, even right down to my original um, basis for which I made this the this, the the star Starfield as well, right? So yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I'm looking forward to using this tool on a regular basis because like I said I use Photoshop all the time on my Mac, and uh, now I plan to use it on my um, on my iPad. And the only thing is missing. Can you guys guess what the only thing is missing for me in this this whole new adventure?
2: Mm, no. About- I don't know. Come on.
1: No interface builder and no Xcode editor. <laughs>
2: Within Photoshop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, if they can put Photoshop on my iPad. Why can't they put Xcode on my iPad?
2: I see. Because it was the, the <laughs> iPad in general, not, not Photoshop. Yeah. I got yeah, it.
1: Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I I could pretty much abandon my Macs if, if I could do for, well, yeah, because I, I could edit the podcast on an iPad too. It'd be cramped. Actually, I have more space on my, more free space on my iPad than I do on my Mac, Right. But, you know, I could edit the show on the on the iPad, I could uh, do the artwork on the iPad, if I could only do coding on the iPad, it would be... Cool. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that, because you can do that Swift uh, Playgrounds thing, right? Which I think I talked about. Because you can do Swift UI and Swift in the Playgrounds as well. Yeah. So, and it's cool, because like I said, you know, I can I can move... I can work on this file here, and then I can just move it up to the um, Creative Cloud, and then I can pick it up on any one of my Macs that has uh, Photoshop loaded up on it. So, it's pretty cool. They've, they've kind of got this sort of ecosystem working, where similar to how iCloud works, you know, how you... When you're working in Apple apps and other apps that use iCloud. You can you can work on the, on your iPad or your mobile to iOS devices and then save the files into the cloud and pick them up again on on the Mac and that kind of stuff. Like I, I do that with Pages and you know um, various tools like that. So yeah, this is really really well built uh, well built program. I haven't really sort of played around with it for too much time to sort of get any sort of you know oh it's super buggy at this and super buggy at that. But yeah, just I'm just delighted that I've got access to this. Right, well here's my Rick and Morty layers. You like double click on things to see the Uh, like you can group grouping layers and that kind of stuff which is something that's very important to do and give the layers names and you know so you can like you can put a bunch of images together in a a group and then move them around on as as one unit kind of thing so yeah it's pretty cool all the things that I would want to see in Photoshop I've got layer properties and so on and so forth yeah and you can look at you can look at the layers in either this new iPad um, kind of style or you can look at them in the traditional Adobe um, style where you've got the uh, looks like nested folders right yeah pretty cool Happy, happy, joy, joy.
2: It, it seems pretty neat how they've tied it into their PSD cloud files. They, they gave it like a new extension, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's pretty neat that they're doing it more. I'm assuming it's more um, Google Docsy in that way. Like, I don't yeah, know yeah, if you yeah, yeah, can yeah. collaborate with other people the same yep. way, but certainly at least between your devices, it should sync, right?
1: Yeah, well, they have this Adobe Bridge thing, which they introduced around, I want to say, Illustrator 5 era, like a long time ago, where, where you have this sort of like a, fo- like a finder for images and artwork, um, they've had that for a while, and they've sort of incorporated that into the Creative Cloud too. So I think that's part of part of the magic behind it. But it definitely has a cloud icon here. And oh, the other thing too is like there's no save dialog box on on the iPad, right? Whereas you know, in, in, when you're working on the Mac, you constantly have to remember to save things. And um, yeah, it just you know, as soon as you, you make an edit, just like any other iPad app, it, it automatically saves it for you. That's cool. Here, I'll take a screenshot of it so you guys can see what I'm talking about. Is Slack built with Electron. Is Slack still built with Electron? Do we know? Do we know?
2: Slack, I believe, it is. Uh, what that? And that's the one that folks tend to think of as like their um, their memory hog. But oh, yeah. I will counter with VS Code, Visual Studio Code is mm-hmm. super snappy and fast. So it doesn't seem as though using Electron necessarily makes your app a memory hog.
1: Wow, well, my Slack was just freaking out here. Oh, we just got one of those amber alerts on our phones. Didn't make any noise though, which is good. Cool. Uh, yeah, so if you look at the screenshot I just sent you, so you see, yeah, this is the traditional Photoshop um, layers view on the left right hand side there. You know, like you can see the TARDIS sort of halfway down, and you can see the the black uh, with the white outline. That's a layer mask, right? Um, and the, the eyeball with the eye extrude means that the those are layers that are not visible, right? And uh, so the like the Snoopy one, you can see how they're it's grouped at the bottom there. The multiple objects make up make up Snoopy. Um, and then uh, on the on the uh, right hand side, there's like the one of the things about the Photoshop is the way the color palette works. You have a foreground color and a background color, and you just tap on that little circle there to change the color. Um, you know, long press on the brush. Uh, pad to make and then use a key, key like a finger command, if, like a gesture to make the brush go up or down. So in Photoshop, you use a lot of key, keyboard commands. Obviously, you can still, if you, if you have, um, a keyboard hooked up. Apparently, there are keyboard commands built into into this uh, Photoshop as well. I haven't tried it with mine yet. Pretty cool, cool thing. Questions, concerns?
2: No, no. It's definitely not my area of expertise, but I just <laughs> think it's really cool that this level of software exists. And yeah, um, pro
1: app, yeah, for sure.
2: I think other apps were coming as well, like Illustrator and other ones that they've talked about.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. A rumor, I, I haven't tried the Bezier tool out yet, but because uh, that's going to be the real. Oh, is there a Bezier tool here? I don't see it. Oh, one something's missing, I guess. I use the Bezier tool all the time in in uh, on the Mac. Um, but that would be, that would be uh, really cool because we do have Bezier paths in, in iOS, right? So it didn't be that hard to do it. Here, that's a future feature coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so super, super stoked about this, uh, this version of Photoshop. Go team, go team Adobe. By the way, I think it's a 10th anniversary of the introduction of InDesign. Did you guys hear that the other day?
2: Really? It's only 10 years old. I feel like it was 20. older than that for reasons, but I guess, eight. I guess not.
1: Yeah. No, I, cause they were talking about it at the, at the, they had the Adobe Max, uh, thing on Monday, the keynote and they mentioned InDesign. I was at the, actually at the original introduction. Of InDesign. My wife and I were there at one of the Macworlds or whatever it was. And I think it was the day that one of the two Adobe founders resi- resi- retired. Kessner, I
2: think. Anywho. All
1: right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So hey, Jaime, If people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they find you?
2: I'm on Twitter, it's at Dev with the Hair. All right, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you,
1: Mark R All right, and as I say every week, my name is Tim Mitra T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next week or next time, we'll say bye-bye. Mark, bye bye if you want to find out more
0: about the podcast or see the episode show notes visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm you can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on twitter at mtjc_podcast. podcast if you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: So you know, the exact minute that I found Photoshop or iPad, I rushed (laughs) over to the notes to make it my pick, (laughs) and I hadn't noticed that you had put the Verge article there ahead of me. And then then I went and checked the versions. It takes like half an hour for the versions to show up in the Google Doc because it's so long. And it turned out you had you had meet me by like a few hours.
2: Yeah, I I saw the uh, I saw the statement in the in the notes. I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't realize Tim had it there. And yeah, I appreciate the uh, the honesty there.
1: Yeah, no. When I went back, I'm, I'm like, I was, I'm sure I had it there first. And then when I went, because I didn't see your thing about the verge, right? And then when I went back and replayed the history of the document, you had your pick in there, and my the picks were both empty, right? So. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us. Neither one of us had something in there. You know, I'm finding this photos app on, on macOS and also iOS. Even more disappointing than it was in the past because it used to be really good at keeping up with new pictures you put in, like photos of people. And now I find, I constantly have to go in and it's like, oh, I can't find any more pictures of that person. Like There's like five of them sitting right there. Oh, you know? wild. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess you, I don't know if you use the faces recognition
2: thing in your uh, photos. I mean, is it possible that's like an iOS 13 thing? Because I've, I, I like, for whatever reason, mail will just occasionally decide that it doesn't want to show me mm-hmm. new notifications yeah yeah um, and the other thing i noticed was that safari view controller across the entire operating system had gone haywire
1: mm-hmm.
2: on, on mac uh, in, uh, iOS. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I've, I've noticed
1: lately that, that Safari just kind of stalls when I'm trying to load pages. Like if you try to load Twitter, it just takes forever. I never used to do that.
0: I've seen that on a couple of websites too, like ESPN.
1: And you sit there and you look at it and you're like, okay, I'll go open Chrome, do what I need to do and come back. And Safari still hasn't loaded the page. Right.
0: And it never will
1: yeah i wonder if it's a certificate thing or something
0: i think it was a. Um, I read something about it. it well the fix was to delete some preference files so something got corrupted
1: oh really yeah
2: hmm. yeah because yeah, you were holding it wrong right right exactly <laughs> yeah all right yeah so the Sorry. safari view controller on ios thing going wild for me it took me a while to figure out what's happening i was um i don't know if i was in a an rss reader or if i was in twitter or something mm-hmm. but you know you tap on the link and say like, oh okay cool i, I want to see this in the full browser so i Tapping the little button yeah. in the toolbar I was like, hmm, it's not reacting. That's weird And then I tried tapping on links within the article I'm like, oh, they're, they're not doing anything And I thought, oh my gosh This website is so terrible. It has corrupted This thing. So I, you know, closed out The app, went back in. Still mm-hmm. didn't work And then I said, wait, let me go try You know, other apps I have that would Have a Safari view controller. And it was just Hosed for the entire operating system Until I rebooted the phone. Something had just Caused Safari view controller to flip Out. Huh. Well, are you blaming Safari View Controller or is there a Safari app altogether? Well, uh, it's unclear. And, and for all I know, uh, and I didn't test it super rigorously, maybe it was this um, particular website. I think it was The Verge. And I was looking at some of their articles. Yeah, I think you know because they do weird stuff on their on their, yeah. their site. And even after using the um, the content blocker stuff, it still seems like stuff leaks through. Um, mm-hmm. and so I thought, oh, maybe they were doing some stupid thing that caused the yeah. operating system to freak out, and it was mm-hmm. exhibiting this weird behavior. Rather than just sort of like silently killing whatever was going wrong and continuing to, you know, move on with our lives, it was definitely the worst possible experience you could have. All I did was basically just click a link.
0: Was that in an app that you were building or in somebody else's app?
2: Somebody else's app. And I don't remember if it was an RSS reader app, uh, Feedly, or if it was the uh, Twitter app. Mm -hmm. I can't remember because it was just like in the morning, you know, just looking at stuff while eating breakfast and I was
1: like, getting very angry at what was going on here. Right. All right. I'm going to close this photo app because it's annoying. You like our new um, voiceover guy, I, mean? I I I heard that one. Who
2: did that end up being? Because <laughs> so I listened at a high sp- higher speed, so I didn't I didn't oh. slow it down to see who.
1: But did you listen to last week's episode? Because he gave me he didn't give me his uh, he didn't say who he was on the, on the first one. There's a friend of mine named Mike Vinkamans. He's uh, Vinkamans, sorry. He's um we had him on uh, Roundabout. His episode hasn't come out yet, but um. Yeah, he's a uh, advertising guy who's got this really interesting voice, and so he started. He put a, a demo tape together, and he's you know trying to get uh, work as a voiceover guy. So I said, "Well, here, read my read my outro for me, right?" So, yeah. So he did the the little intro at the beginning there. He was recording some stuff for Spotcast, but uh, let's not get into this show. So, you did listen to last week's episode, right, Harvey?
2: I did. That's okay. why I knew that there was somebody different, but I didn't I didn't recognize the voice, and and now I understand why. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. just an, an artifact of listening at two uh, x speed. It was because no. I don't know. The Person.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I like to use T- Tammy's uh, voice because she sounds very professional for some reason. And uh, and now we've got Mike. Oh, that's cool. All right. So yeah, what else is going on?
0: Anybody interested in a uh, mobile engineering manager job at Coinbase?
1: Mobile engineering They have engineering my money. Coinbase. Those guys. And they won't give it back.
0: Coinbase? Coins. Yeah. It was not the uh... yeah digital currency. Yeah, the crypto yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> apply for this job. You maybe you can get the money back. <laughs> yeah,
2: Coinbase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get real friendly with the ops folks.
1: Yeah, because I spoke to. of well, the problem is they don't have any way of getting back getting it back into my hands right because uh let's see because i remember i bought some last couple of years ago when we first started talking about bitcoin mm-hmm. yeah, so like my current money is worth 110 dollars and 77 cents oh, and
0: why can't you get out? did you forget your password or something
1: no, no, they don't have a, any way to, to... There's no... The Canadian banks don't recognize them as legit, so they can't transfer that to a Canadian
2: bank. They can't just... see so you would need an American bank?
1: Yeah, or, or find a Canadian coin, Bitcoin place and just trade it over to there, but... Uh, they can't just so send I, you I, a I'm check? I'm pretty sure... I'm trying, to remember, I'm trying to remember how much I inven, uh, invested in this thing, because let's see. You need be able to see on this phone, see if I'm up or down, but I think I'm pretty much broken even right now. Like, I think I put 50, maybe 60 bucks into it, and it's 110 now. It was a lot higher before, because obviously, it went really high a while ago. It's come back down. Yeah, you know, it looks like uh, the highest. Um, the highest I had was two hundred thirty-seven dollars and seventy-four cents. So was, I've lost you know, one hundred and twenty bucks since it came down.
0: You oh, didn't actually lose because you were already ahead, um, right?
1: Yeah, I, I, and I'm a long long tail investor, right? So, <laughs> yeah, how's Apple doing today, actually?
0: Let's
2: see. seemed like the markets were kind of down yeah, in general from what day. I saw.
1: It was up to almost 240 last week.
0: Oh, it hit 257. 257 to close that today.
1: Yeah, 27. Yeah. We're going up.
0: Yeah, yeah it was an all time high today.
1: Wow.
0: How about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. It was at 258.19. What's That's
1: the all time high for Apple? 258.19. Oh, okay. But so it hasn't quite hit that yet.
0: It hasn't quite hit that. But that was, was it last week, maybe? Well, last week. I'm to see okay. what it was.
1: Yeah, $2.760. No, it's just in our my little Apple app here, it just shows uh, 257.60 was the highest it's been.
0: Google is telling oh, me the 52 week high is 258.19. Maybe it didn't close there.
1: Looking at the two-year chart, it's it's the highest it's been.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's the highest now that it's ever been.
1: Yeah, I got back in around 150, 160 or something like that. Though, so again, winning. I think Apple and Facebook are my Apple, Facebook, and Twitter are my only three that are making money. And there's one weed stock I have, which is going down for some reason. I can't figure out.
2: Changing uh, one last question. Um- Random question: Do either of you have experience running, like more modern experience running uh, Windows in any way, shape, or form on macOS or on a Mac? So, like Boot Camp comes to mind, VMware Fusion, Parallels. Yeah, Fusion. I've used Fusion and Parallels in the past. But it- yeah, like like how recent past? Because I used Fusion back in like 2010. And it was okay.
1: No, no. I've, I've used it. I've used it since then. I've used it since then. Like like maybe two, three years ago.
2: Yeah. Do you have any recommendations? Like my my basic need is uh, occasionally. I will need to run uh, Windows stuff like you know, .NET framework. Yeah. Which yeah. I can try Mono. I can try .NET Core, but I, I kind of want to get close to what uh, our customers are going to tend to use. Yeah, well, and not Fusion, just, it, Fusion you know, is probably that stuff works.
1: We use VMware Fusion for our, our VMs at work, like when we're emulating the Macs and stuff like that. Um, but Fusion yeah, Fusion's pretty solid product. I think um, there's also that free one, v- VirtualBox. VirtualBox that'll also run Windows as well. right? I haven't run Windows 10. I, re- I think Windows. Ninety-eight is probably the last time I ran anything. Maybe
2: Windows Seven. It's the Oracle VM VirtualBox.
1: Yeah, because you can—that's when you can run Ubuntu or whatever various flavors of Linux on it as well, right? And you can—you can use the same partition you use. And but I find that from from a driver's point of view, the VM Fusion is probably the best one. You know, because you know, just trying to get on the network is is sometimes tricky with a with a VM box, right? I wouldn't go boot camp. Boot camp's a pain in the butt.
2: Yeah, that was my thought. I was like, if I could just run in a little window when I occasionally need to. To, to run some Windows stuff, and then obviously I got to get this sorted out with IT of like what do they approve and everything. But we also if use they Citrix, don't have
1: is Citrix not an option for you for like you can't VM to the, to the office or something like that. Like, do you have a Windows? Do you have a Windows Home Directory like on your Active Directory server?
2: I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> like the the company in general is uh, Windows you know, Microsoft based, and so yeah. we're kind of the the odd ducks. So do you have like a Windows drive
1: like that you can mount on your on your that has like the documents and notes and pictures and stuff like that
2: we're all using like office 365 yeah, um, yeah when it comes to like corporate stuff as opposed to like my division which tends to use like google docs slack and stuff so yeah. it's teams and office 365 so I, I don't know the answer to that like I, I've only done it through the web I haven't like mounted a drive or anything
1: well so like if we if I mount Citrix on if I go through VPN and I mount the Citrix apps then basically my windows environment is right there and I can actually I can open explorer or Chrome or whatever on the win- in the Windows environment, but on the Mac because of Citrix, it interfaces just like I'm running an app. It's a bit, a bit slower on the VPN, but but if I'm in the office, you know, I can I can do all the Windows kind of stuff. But like since they switched over to Chrome, as I said in the notes, um, it's been pretty, pretty seamless for us on the Mac user Mac users. And now that we're all on Office 365, it's been pretty seamless that way as well. But yeah, I think if, if I was looking to if I was looking to to run Windows on a machine, I would definitely look at Fusion for sure. You, you need to have a legit license, right? Like a Windows license, but uh, yeah, you can do that. You used to be able to do it with an OEM license. I don't know if that works anymore. But like you get like an OEM installer and then you run it. Actually, if you buy Windows VMware Fusion, it usually comes with a Windows license, right?
2: Oh, interesting. As like a reseller thing. Yeah, like they, um, they
1: package. If you buy it all in the package, it comes with. Because the VMware Fusion is like fifty bucks, but I think Windows is like a hundred. So if you're paying like hundred hundred bucks or something like that, then or, or if you get the, I mean, the company can probably supply it to you, right?
2: Yeah, I'll definitely like have to provision everything through IT. it was it's just like they of, may have a, a windows <laughs> image that they use to uh, you know,
1: install and their stuff for obviously for security reasons and stuff as well. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I don't know before I start asking the questions is do they have guidance for this scenario? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I kind of, kind of have doubts because it's probably not a super common scenario. You want to do. So what? that's why I was like, <laughs> I better ask for some recommendations of like, yeah, if they don't have one, I will push them and it's like, Hey, when did you evaluate this? And then figure it out. You know, I'm pretty
1: sure they're, they're aware of your more fusion. Because they probably use it for other things, like like um, you know VMs that they use in their their Windows environment, right? Like on their that have multiple servers and stuff like that. It's just a great great way to, res- to share resources, right? Rather than having to go and configure a giant server with lots of RAM and lots of drive, and then only use like a, a fraction of it, they can make multiple VMs and share the space.
0: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad, high quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello
2: to Quince.